Welcome, First Friends Church family. Today, Pastor Nathaniel is leading us through our end of summer series titled Summer in Psalms. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. Being followed by something or someone often carries a negative implication. A private detective or a private investigator follows people to see if they're being bad or unfaithful or trying to catch them committing crimes. A spy might follow someone in order to steal secrets. If you're walking down the sidewalk late at night and someone seems to be following you, you inevitably start to imagine criminals and theft and assault. Um, Are there any of you that really enjoy driving down the interstate and having a police cruiser just slot in behind you and follow you? Do you enjoy that? Is that, you start looking at, you know, is my hair out of place? What is, I, I'm under the speed limit. What can possibly be wrong? Is, that's a very disconcerting feeling, even if you're within the law. The final verse of Psalm 23 describes for us an image of sheep being followed by specific servants of the shepherd, but they are not threatening. And they're not trying to catch the sheep doing something bad, the shepherd dispatches his goodness and his love to follow his sheep. And that's an image that we want to unpack this morning. If you do not have a hard copy Bible with you this morning and you'd like to borrow one for the rest of this service, the ushers are coming back down the aisles now with some copies. And uh, I'll go a step further, if you don't own a copy, then please don't just borrow this one, but accept it as a gift from us here at First Friends. And even though this is the last Sunday in our, okay, I I realized I have stretched the concept of summer by summer in Psalms into the first Sunday of October, Um, but it's warm. Uh, It's as though the the weather has responded. So it's just like one of those name it and claim it things I'm Maybe that's what's brought this warmer weather back. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible as a book, the book of Psalms is almost right in the middle. So if you just hold that, the the book open in front of you and and turn to more or less the middle, you're going to be on, in, or close to the book of Psalms. And for the sixth time, I'll be reading Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we have learned from this psalm, we've focused on the verbs that describe the shepherd's care for his sheep. Each verb carries with it a tense that tells us if it's happening in the past, present, or future. We've noted how some of these verbs have a, a present but ongoing sense, and, and this is true um, right now of the ber- verb follow as well. All of the verbs in the psalm have been in the present, describing actions the shepherd performs in the present, right? That first, that very first statement, I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd, is, present tense, right now. The lack is not a lack, it's not promising that there's no lack tomorrow, it's just calling us to be here, today, now, in this present, in this moment, in the now. We lack nothing. Now when the other moments become the now, that will apply then as well. He is our shepherd. He makes us lie down. He leads us. He refreshes our souls. He guides us. He is with us. He comforts us. He prepares us. He anoints us. But here in the last verse, the tense changes. As he closes the psalm, David now surveys his future with the shepherd. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, looking on into the future, future future-oriented. And the phrase, all the days of my life, refers to the here and now, life on earth. So we have in this final verse a picture of the present, all the days of my life, and then continuing on into eternity, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But that phrase, all the days of my life, indicates that the blessings of the shepherd are for us today, not just after death. And another psalm that David wrote, Psalm 27, in verse 13, he, he emphasizes this concept and this idea. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The goodness of the Lord is for now. It's also forever. At all times, past, present, future earthly and future heavenly, the shepherd is present to and active with his sheep. So he shepherds us, he shepherds his sheep forever. Now, when we read that goodness and love follow us, let's be clear on the image. So as we continue to engage our imaginations, the shepherd is out front of the flock, leading, guiding, protecting, searching the best paths and the best pastures. And behind the shepherd comes the flock. And behind the flock, the goodness and the love of the shepherd, guarding and protecting the sheep from behind. So I'm not entirely certain that this image is in the original, but I'm I'm kind of putting it, contextualizing it. If it helps us to think of it in this way, imagine maybe the the concept of a sheepdog. The human shepherds out front while guarding and watching uh, from the rear are two sheepdogs named Goodness and Love. And they perform two tasks. They protect our rear, keeping enemies at bay, and then here's the other one, they chase us well, let me ask you, toward, toward whom or toward what do the goodness and love chase us toward the shepherd? They, they, they keep us, they, they help us follow him closely without straying. When we fall down, when we fail, when we choose sin, when we stray from the right path, when we are unfaithful, we should expect harshness, judgment, and punishment. 
And that's what we deserve, so it wouldn't be wrong for us to receive those things. But here, instead, we see the shepherd's goodness and love putting us back on the right path. My older sister, Catherine, who's eight years older than I am, she was the one who taught me to ride a bike. And she taught me on the street in front of our house in Brazil, but uh, she taught me on the sidewalk. And sidewalks there aren't like sidewalks here that are just flat, straight, uniform, and narrow. They're wide, but each person in front of their home does what they want to do with the sidewalk. So that means that as you're riding, riding or walking down a sidewalk, you might have steps in the middle of a sidewalk, uh, especially because the street we lived on was at a slight incline. Um, so you'd have little ramps when you went from one person's sidewalk onto the next and, and s- small drop-offs. It was a pretty hazardous place to learn to ride a bike, as I recall now. At the time, I thought it was normal. And as my sister was teaching me to ride a bike, what she would do is she would hold on. I had the, 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 the bike that, that I had had like a, like a, almost like a baggage, little luggage rack on the back. And so she held onto that with both hands and um, ran behind me down this hazardous sidewalk to the bottom of the street. Then we'd turn around, walk the bike back up, and then she'd do it all again. As I gained confidence, um, she would still run behind me, but she would, I, I didn't realize this at the time, right? She would occasionally let go. Um, and I don't know how many times I crashed and burned. I don't know how many times, how many skinned knees, skinned elbows there were, but every time, every time that happened, Catherine was right there, and she would pick me up, comfort me, and make me do it again. It's the benevolence of the shepherd that doesn't allow us to stray. The conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin is God's love in action. One of the antitheses to love is not always hate. At times, it is indifference. If God the shepherd were indifferent to us, he wouldn't care if we strayed. He wouldn't care if we sinned, if we rebelled. He wouldn't care if we believed a lie that was going to be self-destructive. But the shepherd so deeply cares for his sheep that he sets himself before them and his goodness and love behind them to guard them and keep them from straying and to bring them back if they do stray. Now let's get into more specifics. These two servants, we'll say, of the shepherd, specifically that followed the David, um, and by extension, all sheep who belong to the shepherd, all children of God, the first of these is goodness. Over and over, the Bible tells us that God is good, that he's good toward all he has made, but God's goodness is not goodness as, as a little child might interpret it, right? To, to a child, <laughs> and often to adults as well. Goodness means getting whatever we want. And a small child doesn't understand that certain limits are a sign of the goodness of the parents. Um, because not allowing a child to stick their hand into the glowing embers of a fire, that's a good thing. Even if the two-year-old child really, really wants to touch those flames because they're so enticing and so beautiful. 
And much of what is truly good may not be pleasant at the time, as we all know, as we've all experienced, like exercising and studying and self-discipline. The goodness of God which follows each sheep is truly good because it's based on his character and his truth. Romans 8.28 is one of the most often quoted and most wrongly interpreted verses of Scripture, but it directly addresses God's good purposes. You're familiar with this verse, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we see here that God is concerned with the final product in every circumstance, whether pleasant, difficult, painful, or joyful. God's working in his sheep toward the finished product of goodness. But we also note here that 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 promise is limited to those who love God. It's limited to those who belong to him. It's not a universal promise. The goodness of the shepherd follows us, the sheep of the shepherd, to guard, protect, and ensure that we're on the right path to becoming who the shepherd wants us to be. Now, along with goodness, love is following the flock. And that's the way that the NIV 2011 edition has chosen to translate this Hebrew word. You may have heard this Hebrew word before. It's chesed. There's no direct translation for this word into English. Scholars have struggled for millennia to convey its full meaning in other languages because the chesed of God is so deep, it's so blessed, it's so transformative, and it's so amazing. It's really hard to express, and it's very challenging to translate. For those of you who have had any significant interaction with another language other than English, you'll be able to understand this concept. There are certain words in Portuguese that convey a particular emotion or sentiment or feeling or thought, and there's just no equivalent word in English. So you have to try to explain it by using many phrases or a number of different words, and that's what's happened throughout the history of Bible translation with this word chesed. So oftentimes it's been translated as loving kindness. The King James Version translates it as mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In the New Testament, the writers would would use this word, the Hebrew word chesed, as they're translating it into Greek, they they would translate it as grace. So the reality is that each and every one of us is guilty before God. We're impure, we're damaged beyond repair, and we're perverted from what God created us to be, right? So we've rebelled against the Creator, And we've said, no, I don't want your path. I don't want your truth. Thereby, we have rejected him. And it is the chesed of God that pays for that guilt. His loving kindness, mercy, grace, love that led him to offer Jesus in our place. When we accept that chesed, that offering, that payment for our guilt, We are made right with him and loved by him for all time. His hesed continues to follow us every second, every minute, every hour. His love, loving kindness, mercy, grace keeps us from straying. And when we do stray, it's that same hesed that brings us back. 
And this closing image at the end of the psalm, the goodness and the love of the shepherd chasing, herding, hounding the sheep into the eternal house of God. And that's a beautiful picture because I know that, that as a kid who grew up and um, required a lot of discipline, shall we say, I thought I heard someone over here say amen, and I hope you're talking about yourself and not just affirming what you said about me, but, <laughs> but I did require a lot, of, a lot of correction and a lot of discipline, and this goes back a little bit to what I shared about the rod of the shepherd. Remember the rod and his, the staff, the shepherd that comforted us, and how we so often understand, or I understand that rod as being punitive toward me. Now, the staff of the shepherd was to correct, guard, and direct the sheep, but the rod was a weapon of protection against the enemies of the sheep. And so, to come back to this image of me, us, the sheep, being driven, in a sense, into the house of God, driven to be close to the shepherd, if I'm imagining this picture on my own, I'm picturing God's judgment and, and God's wrath or his discipline or his punishment that's hounding me, that's driving me, that's corralling me, that's pushing me toward the shepherd and toward his house. So more a sense of fear of consequence rather than joy of that to which and toward which I am being moved. But that's not the image that God gives us through David in Psalm 23. It's his goodness and love that ensure that we stay close to, that we stay with the shepherd. And it's his goodness and love that bind his sheep to him forever. Because to where are we being led? And to where are the goodness and the love of God driving us toward the eternal dwelling with him, his house? So as we come to the final phrase of this psalm, short though it is, we need to look back and remember how this psalm starts. It begins with the Lord as shepherd, and note now where it ends, in the house of the Lord, forever. There's a progression and a destination to the Lord's shepherding. It's not just sitting in the same place, but it's moving us to his house, and we'll unpack that concept of his house in a moment. As a child, uh, I remember meeting uh, new friends. And it seemed as though th those friendships were actually only really cemented or only consummated if one of us went to the other's house. So maybe we met at school, and you hang out there and you start building a relationship, but then you know you're really friends when you say to, to them or they say to you, hey, can you come over to my house? Can you come play? That's how it starts, right? I don't know when the transition to hang out comes because play isn't super cool like once you're, I don't know, fifth, sixth grade. But it's the entering the house of the other that really cements in, in that relationship, that friendship. 
God is guiding each one of his sheep to a place of eternal safety and joy, right? A place where each sheep will forever and perfectly be with him. The shepherd leads, his goodness and hesed follow, conducting his sheep to their final home with him. Now, this is really important. The emphasis here is not a location. It's not the location of the house, but rather whose house it is. Because the Christian faith is not about getting us to the location of heaven. Christianity is about being known by God and coming to know him in return. Jesus, in the great high priestly prayer, that's the way that we refer to it in, in the book of John. It goes on for a couple chapters. But in John 17, verse 3, Jesus, shortly before his death, is praying. And I, I don't know how we have this recorded for us today, but I'm so glad we do. I don't know if John was, you know, lurking uh, and just listening in on Christ's prayer, if it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, if Jesus told him later what we had prayed. I don't know, but Jesus is in this intimate moment with his father shortly before the cross. And in, in this conversation with the Almighty Father, he makes this statement in John 17, 3, and he says to, to the Father, Jesus the Son, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Usually, if we think about the concept of eternal life, we, and we're going to describe it, we would start out by describing, well, it's, it's kind of like living forever that goes on and on and on, and you never stop living. You just keep living. But when Jesus describes it, it's described as relationship. Eternal life is knowing God and knowing Christ. by and through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The shepherd is with his sheep at all times so that his sheep will come to know him ever more deeply. We've heard this verse already, right? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The shepherd moves his sheep over the course of a lifetime from saying the Lord is a shepherd to the Lord is the shepherd to the Lord is my shepherd. The Christian life begins with repentance and faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Christianity continues through Christ's care for his sheep and it proceeds on through eternity in the house of God forever. Famous professor, teacher, and theologian Haddon Robinson made the following statement regarding Psalm 23 specifically. If the Lord is your shepherd and you are his sheep, he walks before you and his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And that includes today. If we belong to the great shepherd, we are already living in the house of the Lord because we're already with him. So eternal life does not start at our death. It has begun. His goodness and love are with us. He is with us. And he is eternal life. So I want to, to leave you with three challenges as we close out this psalm. 
The first is not a new one. But it's an invitation to become a sheep of the shepherd. We began this psalm with that statement, the Lord is my shepherd, but then asking the question, is he? Have you surrendered to the shepherd? Now, that might sound strange. If, if, if you don't have a whole lot of history um, in church, if you're not super conversant with the Bible, the Word of God. So what does this look like? How, how do we start? How's that first initial step to becoming a sheep of the great shepherd, to belonging to the flock of God, to the church? It begins with an admission that we need him specifically. And that means acknowledging that we are broken and that we're in rebellion. So that to this point in our lives, we've rejected him and we've decided that I am more than capable of determining my own life, of controlling my own future. And I don't need God. I don't need his presence. I don't need his guidelines. I don't need his protection. I don't need his life. I'm good. So once we acknowledge that selfish, rebellious attitude, and the Bible calls that sin, we acknowledge that, we repent of it, but then we receive forgiveness for it. And that forgiveness comes because Jesus, the Son of God, paid the price for all that rebellion already. So there's consequences to everything we do. There's a price that we pay for everything, whether good or bad. And when it comes to rebellion against God, the price is eternal separation from God, torment forever. And that's, that's, that's what we deserve, right? See, this isn't necessarily punishment, it's consequence. We deserve that. If you rebel and reject the law, then there's a consequence that comes with it. If you rebel against the Almighty God and reject him, there's a consequence that comes. It's gotta be paid for. Jesus paid that for you. He paid it by dying because that's the price for sin, blood sacrifice. Jesus paid it for you. Because he's the son of God, because he himself had no sin to pay for, he couldn't, death couldn't hang on to him because he wasn't supposed to be there. And so he rose again. And so as we repent of our sin first and our brokenness, then we receive and accept the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. And the way the Bible describes that is that when we do that, not only do we become part of the family of God and become a child of God, he adopts us into his family, but we are actually made new. We're given new life. The Apostle Paul, one of the scripture writers, puts it this way. I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, I also want to be clear on something. That, that choice or that response to the great shepherd, that begins our life with him. So that's not the finish line. That's the starting line. Right? Because his goodness and love follow us all the days of our lives. So it's, it, it, we don't just stop. 
we continue on a life with him. And again, the way that the Bible describes that is a life of a disciple, of being discipled by and with the great shepherd, being turned, changed to be more and more like him as we get to know him throughout the course of our life and into the future. So that's the first invitation I want to leave with you today. If you are not, if you are not a sheep of the flock of the shepherd, you can choose to become one today. And, and let me say something else. To may, maybe to, to some of you who have been in church a lot, and maybe things have become a little muddied for you at some point, so you've equated church attendance or being around church with belonging to the shepherd. You've heard me say this before, I'm gonna say it again in the infamous words of Keith Green. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. So a reminder that the question is not, do you go to church? The question is, have I surrendered to the shepherd? Have I repented of my rebellion and do I belong to him? The second invitation is one that I've also issued a number of times throughout this series. And that is for those who are sheep or at some point you, you became a part of, of the, the flock of the great shepherd, but for some reason you've kind of, you've strayed away. So you, you have ignored the voice of the shepherd or maybe it's just been a, a slow drift, or maybe it's because there's been pain and suffering and it's been really hard for you to reconcile the pain that you feel each day with the fact that the shepherd is good and loving and he makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside quieted waters. But remember, that's the shepherd who walks with us through the darkest valley. Not only does he walk with us through the darkest valley, but he has been through the darkest valley on his own before us. And he did that on the cross. It's really dangerous to be far from the shepherd. Far from the shepherd is where we're unprotected. Far from the shepherd is where enemies attack. Far from the shepherd is where vipers can get the sheep. Far from the shepherd is where the sheep can get stuck or they can get injured and they can become easy prey. So you're invited to return to the shepherd. And here's the final invitation. And I don't know why this is so hard for us, but it is. When we're invited to surrender to the shepherd, we are invited to surrender to being loved by him. So that's the final invitation, to surrender to the goodness and love of the shepherd. I remember times when our boys were much, much younger, toddler age, and, and for some reason they've just gotten so worked up. Probably they were overtired, probably missed a nap or whatever, and I remember Julie and myself trying to comfort them, and they're just thrashing all, you know, they're, they're in your arms, they're thrashing all over the place, they're wailing, they're, you know, unintentionally, maybe it was intentionally, striking out, you know, hitting you in the face, just, they're just so worked up. And you know that all they need, that all you're trying to do is love them and comfort them and calm them down, and yet they're so resistant. And we look at a little child or an infant like that, and we're like, why won't you just let me love you? 
And I wonder how often the great shepherd looks at us, each one of us, and says, why won't you just let me love you? Why is it that you, you treat my love as though it were something harsh, as though it were something burdensome? I want you to experience my love and my goodness. Let me love you. Experience my goodness. And so for some of us, we're, we're part of his flock, and, uh, and we belong to him, and we try really hard to follow him closely, but there's something in us that just is so terrified of saying, okay, just, I, I will allow you to love me as you feel best. I am, I am yours. So that's the third invitation. This morning, we're going to close with a practice of the church that has its roots in the night that Jesus was betrayed. There, it goes by a number of different names. Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, but it is a way that we act out a sign that points to the reality of the presence of God with us. Now, I've, I've, I've talked about this before with you all, and so you understand where I'm coming from. When we say there, that something is a sign, there are two great dangers associated with that. The first danger is to worship the sign. But we don't worship the sign because the sign is pointing to something. It's pointing to the reality. But the other danger is to say that the sign doesn't matter, that the sign's irrelevant. And that also is foolish because if we ignore the sign, we might miss what the sign is pointing to. Communion is a sign. It points to many things. But what I want us to focus on this morning as we celebrate this, um, this practice together is I want us to note that it points to the reality of the presence of the shepherd with his sheep. Jesus is with us. We are with him. And at that first Lord's Supper, Jesus was with his disciples. Do you remember that? He was with them. And that's when he enacted this practice. And that's when he first spoke these words. We call them the words of institution that I'm going to share in a little bit. Over the bread and then a little later over the wine. So I'd invite us now to take a couple minutes in silence. Maybe to reflect over what we have heard over the course of the psalm, to reflect on the presence of the shepherd with us, and also as we, as we draw closer to the shepherd, um, the light of the shepherd does tend to illuminate things in us um, that need to be dealt with. So as we prepare ourselves, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of unconfessed sin, as we're in his presence, this is an opportunity to repent of that sin and to enter his, his presence freely 
and in the purity that he provides, the purity of his forgiveness. So uh, as we prepare in silence, I would like uh, to invite those who will be serving to go ahead and come to the tables. And then the rest of us, let's take some moments to prepare our hearts. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week!